Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. The Psalms, beloved by all of God's people, are composed of the expression of the sentiments, feelings, impressions, and experiences of godly men. Many of the Psalms express primarily the concept of the writer. David, for example, in a number of the Psalms was frequently in grave danger, being pursued by his enemies, those who were desiring even to do away with him. And so we see his crying out to Jehovah for safety and deliverance. Other of the Psalms exalt and uplift the law of God, connecting God's blessing with our ability to keep the law. There are, however, many Psalms that express a much higher thought, even the divine thought. Psalms which present the very Christ of God, maybe not in direct reference, but in unmistakable clarity. These are Psalms which convey God's deepest feeling and His heart's desire for man, that Christ would occupy the center in our lives as he occupies the center of God's own economy. John Pester is back with us today as we continue this fellowship in the life study of the Psalms. And John, we see this theme reoccurring in these early Psalms. I I would imagine that it's going to stay with us through the whole of the Psalms, isn't it? I think these messages wonderfully present to us the reason why this radio program is called the Life Study of the Bible, because there's a very clear distinction between what David's feelings are and what God's feelings are. This is God's Word, and God's Word marvelously presents David's feelings, but David's feelings are on a lower plane in these Psalms, Psalms 9 through Psalms 14. And they don't really reflect the intention that God has, which is to put his life into man. It rather reflects David's thought that the Christian life is a life of choosing between good and evil. But we need to realize that the Bible presents two principles by which a man can live. One principle, as exemplified by the tree in Genesis, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both good and evil are on the same tree that resulted in the curse and the infection of sin into mankind. The other tree that man can live by is the tree of life, and this tree represents Christ. And David, in these psalms, is expressing the sentiment of a person who believes that the principle of living is to choose between good and evil, without realizing that both of those principles reside on the same tree. David thinks that if he does good, then God should punish those who are bad. And so his concern in these psalms is entirely in the realm of God providing for his safety, for his blessing, for his peace, for his comfort. And that is different than God's desire, which is to impart Christ into our being in whatever circumstances we are in and in whatever situations we are in. And in fact, even goes counter to the thought that God is just desiring to punish bad men. 
God has a love for all of humanity. He wants to impart himself into all of humanity. And David's thought, at least in these Psalms, shows that he is in the wrong realm. And as Christians, we can be in the wrong realm as well if we don't focus in on God's desire to be life to us and praise the Lord that we have these life studies. Mm. Uh, excellent uh, overview, John, and introduction. I think I want to reemphasize again as we continue, we're not depreciating portions of God's Word. We uh, honor and exalt all of God's Word, but we're recognizing that the thought conveyed in one portion compared to another sometimes is on the human plane, as you've been describing. Sometimes it touches the divine plane, and we've seen this already in these early Psalms. Psalm 1 was all about the law, but Psalm 2 brought us clearly to Christ. Then 3 through 7, once again, we see David as the center, uh, the law as the center. Psalm 8, another peak where Christ is revealed in a marvelous way. Now we come to these six Psalms, 9 through 14, and we're back in David's turmoil, and everything is centered around his welfare, his well-being. But at the end of this stretch comes another peak, which Witness Lee will allude to in this uh, first portion today. Actually, I have selected a couple of verses from Psalm 15, which is technically outside the scope of our program today, but since he's going to talk about it, it opens the door, and I think it helps to underscore the point you made in the introduction. Uh, Psalm 15 begins this way. We're presented with a question. O Jehovah, who may sojourn in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy mountain? Then David proceeds to answer the question for us. He who walks in integrity and does righteousness and speaks truth from his heart. He who does these things will not be shaken forever. Clearly, John, this uh, is David's concept, and as we'll see, really matches the tree of knowledge of good and evil, doesn't it? That is correct. All right, here's Witness Lee with our first portion. Tonight, we have to cover from Psalm 9 to Psalm 14. And these few Psalms are not that positive. Psalm 15 asks, Who will sojourn Jehovah? in your tent and who will dwell on your mountain and David's answer is this the perfect according to the law but tonight I must tell you in the whole universe there's not one person is perfect according to the law only Jesus Christ no one else everybody broke the law even David exalted the law so high. He just by one sin, he broke all the last five commandments. He murdered, he killed. He robbed others of his wife. That is fornication, right? And he lied. He lied to Uriah. And then he coveted, you see, all the five. Killing, fornication, stealing, lying, and coveting. If among the human race, in the human society, there's no killing, no fornication, no uh, stealing, there's no lie, and there's no uh, coveting. Maya, that is really the kingdom of the heavens on this earth. But today, just opposite. Paul says already in the husband, no flesh can be justified by the law. Who can keep the law? Who can? No one. But one not only can, and he did. The one who became a man and living a human life. 
he kept the law perfectly. Then he was killed. Then he was resurrected. Now he is in ascension at the right hand of God. This one is the one who can sojourn in God's tabernacle, who can dwell with God. Wonderful. Now, we all got to know that God has an economy. And in God's economy, there is a central line. And that central line is Christ to be large to have a counterpart, that is, his church. But David's concept is not along this line. David's concept is along a subsidiary line, and that is the law. The law is not the central line. The law is a side line, and the central line is on mainly Christ. The more you read these Psalms carefully, David's concept is just good and evil. And this principle of good and evil is the principle of, you know, the two trays in Genesis 2. The first tray is the tray of life. And the second tray is the tray of the knowledge of good and evil. You read this six Psalms, you could realize, my, David is full of the knowledge of good and evil. John, I like the question that David asks at the beginning of Psalm 15. I think it's worth pondering. It's just the answer to the question that he came up with that I think we need to talk about. Who, Jehovah, can sojourn in your tents? Who can dwell on your high mountain? And David answers that question by saying it's the person that can keep the law. And implied in that response and in that further development in these psalms is the thought and the realization and the hope that he can be one who fulfills the law. And therefore, being on the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he will not receive the same punishment as those that are on the bad side. And he will even have the ability to call down judgment upon those who are bad from this God who he believes judges according to good and evil only. And so his response is entirely based upon the law. He is a person that's living in the law. He thinks that the law is the principal line of conduct in the Bible, and he completely misses the line of life. And I think Witness Lee properly picks up that line by pointing out that the only one who can sojourn in the tent, who can fulfill the law, the only one who ever did was Christ. And so our attention needs to be focused on Christ. And David even implicitly answers his question, and Paul picks up on this nugget of truth in 14, when he says, who seeks after God? And David answers, no, not one. There's not one who seeks after God. They're all perverse. Uh, they're all doing their own things. And Paul picks up on this truth, and he inserts it into Romans chapter 3 in the context of showing that the law should lead us to Christ, that the law should lead us to grace. The only purpose of the law is that it entered in alongside of sin to make sin exceedingly sinful and point out to us our need to turn from the knowledge of good and evil to life, which is Christ and which is grace. Yeah, he uses this word, the line of the law was a subsidiary line. The problem is, in our natural sort of default settings, it becomes the central line, doesn't it? Right. And it replaces what is rightfully the central line. And most of Christianity today is in this line. They're in the realm of good and evil without realizing that that is one composite realm 
that's completely set apart from Christ. I also appreciate the word that the Lord said in the Gospels when someone asks him, calls him good master, and his response is, who is good? Only God is good. So if you want to be in the realm of good, you really have to be in the realm of God. There is a human realm of good, which is according to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the real realm of blessing is God himself, Christ himself, and if we focus in on that, then rather than trying to keep the law, trying to be a quote-quote good person and not be a bad person, if our focus is in on Christ, we will have the blessing that we need, whether our circumstances change one bit or not. Okay, 9 to 14. Those are the Psalms specifically we're here to talk about today. Let's look at a couple of verses from Psalm 9, verses 7 and 8. This touches something you alluded to, John, uh, the kind of judgment that David conceives God most interested in. But Jehovah sits enthroned forever, David writes. He has established his throne for judgment, and it is he who judges the world with righteousness. He executes judgment on the peoples with equity. Now, let's pick up a verse from the New Testament that talks about Christ on the throne. Acts 5.31, This one God has exalted to his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. A little different emphasis once again. Here's Witness Lee. You know, in the New Testament, we are told Christ is king, the ruler of all the kings sitting on the throne to do what? Not to judge, to save. Today, we have a sitting king. You read Acts 5. 31. God uplifted Christ to his right hand that he may be the ruler and the savior. This is David's thought. His God is the king on the throne to do what? To judge. Can you see this? To judge the world in grace and mercy. To judge the world in righteousness and with equity. With equity means, simply means injustice. In righteousness and injustice. The whole world is not righteous. It's not just. Only one who is sitting on the throne, he judges in righteousness and with justice. This comes to be right. It's nothing wrong. But this is according to what? Number one, according to three of the knowledge of good and evil, number two, according to the law. All these six psalms together, you could see here is a man who was supposedly very godly. And his thought, his concept, his thinking is all together wrapped up with the law, with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, nothing related to God's economy, nothing related to God's center of his plan. You couldn't see. Altogether concerning David's thought regarding his welfare. This is all. In principle, the six psalms are the same as the five psalms three to seven. Nothing is related to God's economy, to God's interest, to God's kingdom, to God's plan, 
but all around David's personal benefits, personal interest, personal safety, personal peace. Do you think this should be a model to us? Surely not. You know, this, John, reminds me of uh, something that was brought up in one of the earlier programs. Many people use these psalms, 3 through 7, 9 through 14, as a kind of a model on how to pray. Because everybody goes through these hard times, and here's David in hard times, and he's calling out to God. Witness Lee takes a very strong counter approach to this because the problem with these psalms, even though they're good and wonderful, and we always cry out to God, all of us do when we're in such a distress, but they're centered on the wrong thing, aren't they? Yes, these are, are prayers that come from a person who is not properly calibrated to God's economy. He sees the world in black and white, good and evil, and all of the distresses that he is experiencing, he attributes to those that are evil. And then all the good that he wants to receive, he attributes to God. And so he calls down judgment upon those that are evil and asks for blessings on himself. And this is really the realm that many Christians are in. But it's an improper realm because God does not operate this way. What strikes a person the most when you read these prayers of David is that even though he exalts God, his focus is entirely upon man. His focus is entirely upon people on the earth. And and so he calls upon judgment upon these people. But God is not in that realm. God has a heart of love toward man. Yeah. He will judge and he will act righteously, but his heart is intimately related toward bringing man into his saving grace and his saving salvation. He desires to impart himself into man. And David is concerned, really, I appreciate this word to the uttermost, that he's concerned for his personal benefit, his personal interest, his personal safety, his personal peace. And he attributes all of that distress to men on the earth. And therefore, he asks that God would come in and righteously judge them and deal with him. So even though he's apparently upholding the principle of good, he's upholding it for his own personal interest. He desires that God would come in and deal with these men on the earth so that he would be comfortable. And this is the mindset of many Christians. Deal with our distresses, God, so that I can be blessed and be in a peaceful situation. But it's ironic. David ultimately believes that is the case. That is the reality. But in Psalm 11, he says, Why, O Jehovah, do you stand far off? And then in 14, he begins, How long, O Jehovah, will you forget me continually? And so there are times when David can't even understand, because he's living in the wrong principle, he can't understand that God is not a stress reliever. <laughs> yeah. You know, God is not an antacid tablet. That's not what God desires to do. God desires to impart himself into us. Right. And he will impart himself into us in every circumstance, in every situation. And in fact, he will do it in a way that is righteous. Yeah. But it's also not just focused on men on the earth. Paul says our wrestling is not with flesh and blood but with the principalities and powers in the air. That's where the real battle is. That's where our real focus needs to be. If there's any judgment, if there's any righteous judgment that needs to be applied, it needs to be applied in that direction, not toward men. What needs to be applied toward man is the love and the grace that is available through Christ's redemptive death and his life-giving resurrection that is able to impart himself as life into men. 
If you receive life in the midst of your circumstances and distresses, the Lord may come in and sovereignly change your circumstances, but he may just supply you with the grace that you need to get through it. He may supply you with the grace to withstand the persecution that's coming from evil men, not to deliver you from that persecution, but just give you the grace to be above it. And so this is the marvelous thing about God's economy. God desires not just to be our personal stress reliever. He desires to be our life. Really good point, and I want to underscore it as we go into this final section. We're not talking about God compromising or ignoring his righteousness. And, of course, that's the wonder of the gospel because in the sacrifice of Christ, in his redemptive work, God's righteousness is fully satisfied. Therefore, he's able to be released in his love for man. So we find in the New Testament that this throne David's referring to is called the throne of grace. And, of course, in John three sixteen, we realize God loves Everyone, even the evil doers among us, and wants to bestow his own divine life and save them to the uttermost just as well. If I could just underscore that point, because it's a very good one. God's righteousness is never compromised right. by his grace. God's righteousness is executed when all avenues of grace have been exhausted. All right, here's Witness Lee for our final portion. The Holy Bible is the writing of God. When we come to read it, we shouldn't understand it by our way, by our concept. This is why even the learned ones, you may have a uh, doctor degree in English or a master degree in Chinese and so forth. You may read the black and white, but I assure you, you may get nothing because you read the Bible, you understand the Bible, you interpret it, you preach it, you teach it, all together according to your kinds of understanding. That's wrong. Based upon what we have seen according to the principles of the Bible, you consider this six Psalms, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. What is up to the standard of the divine revelation? There's not one point up to standard. Today, in the New Testament principle, God does have a throne. And he is really sitting there on the throne. But the throne today is called what? The throne of grace. Not only today, from eternity past to eternity future. God's intention is to love the world. God loved the fallen human race that he has given his only begotten to come to die for us that we may have eternal life and shall not perish through our believing in him. This is the basic principle of the New Testament. God loved the fallen humankind. If not so, none of us could have been saved. We all have been saved based upon what? Based upon the principle that God loves the human race. Even though the human race is fallen. Even though the human race has become a world. God loves, loves us. So his throne today is not a throne of the king of authority. His throne today is the throne of his Savior, a loving Savior. 
So this throne of authority has become today the throne of grace. So every day, every moment, we could come to approach this throne of grace that we may find mercy and receive grace to meet our timely need. This is today's dispensation. God set up. Well, John, our time is gone. I I don't know, it seems to me, I'd like to summarize just with his own phrase here, that if God had responded to him according to David's thought, neither David nor any of us would be saved, would we? That's absolutely correct. Isn't it wonderful that God doesn't respond to us based upon our ability to keep the law, but based upon our willingness to turn to him, open to him, and receive him as our Savior, as our life, and as our supply. And in Christ, in God's economy, in his ultimate righteous sacrifice and the accomplishment of his redemption, both God's love and his righteousness find their satisfaction. And so even in the midst of any distress that's caused by any kind of earthly environment, earthly situation, we can be people who come forward to the throne of grace and receive grace for our timely need. And that is where we want to stay focused. John, great to have you. Hope you can come back uh, during this live study of Psalms. Uh, We just quickly give you our toll-free number. Hope you'll contact us to get the printed messages. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For John Pester, I'm Chris Wild. Thanks for listening today. enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, please visit our website, lsm.org. Again, that's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.